Hi, everybody. This is Sam Oser, your unconventional journalist reporting at the intersections of class, race, and gender, and the movements that fight back. It is primary season, so we do have another candidate interview for today. We are talking to Ben Chow, or Ben Chu? Chow. Chow. Okay, Ben Chow. Uh, he's running for Harris County Commissioner Precinct 4. That covers Katy, Sci Fair, West Houston, Leaf, Myland, Briar Forest, Galleria, River Oaks, and Timber Grove. That is a wide range of, <laughs> <laughs> of cities there. Uh, gotta love Harris County. Um, so, what is your political background and what made you decide to run? Yeah, I have been working on campaigns since I was in high school. Um, in large part, the first campaign I worked on was with a fellow Chinese American. Um, if he won, he was running for mayor of a suburb here, um, Sugarland, in, in just you know, close to Houston. And mm-hmm. if he won, he would have been the first Asian American mayor of any um, city in the greater Houston area. And I thought that would have been just a phenomenal opportunity uh, just to be a part of that experience. Um, so when I took him to like, or, you know, I was interning. So when he took me to some of his town halls, um, I was expecting like just, you know, usual candidate stuff of, you know, question and answers. Um, but what became very apparent early on was I saw these elderly people literally go up to him and to his face in front of other people say, you're a communist because you were born in China and you are not an American because you speak with an accent. And so I was just blown away because, you know, growing up, I I graduated high school in 2009. um, And, you know, as a millennial, like seeing your classmates, like that entire high school I went to public school was very diverse in of itself. And you just don't, you know, you know, you think that older people tend to be more evolved, more like wizened. um, uh, And yet here this like was just blatant in front of other people. Um, but then the worst thing that happened was two weeks before election day, our office actually burned down. So that was a completely like kind of kind of traumatic situation. I got the text saying, don't come into the office. It's not safe. Um, and uh, I got that just, you know, has always lived with me because it was so jarring. We were pretty certain that we were going to do pretty well in the campaign. But, you know, two weeks before an election, this is back in the mid-2000s where all of our campaign data was stored on floppy disks and cds and paper so when it burns like it's all gone there was no cloud to save your information on so we were shooting in the dark for the last two weeks the whole point of the story is that like uh you know this this feeling uh the sentiment of anti-asian hate is something that we've been talking about recently but like white supremacy is something that has lived as we all know for a long long time and that was just many, one of its many instances that it has reared its head here locally in Houston. Um, uh, but like, that's not the only time it happened in my like political background. Um, I have a few friends who ran for city council also in Sugarland. Um, mm-hmm. Both of them were Muslim women. Um, and both times, one ran in, I believe, 2013 and the other ran in 2019. And each time, and you can Google this, um, uh, when they ran, people were just blatantly calling them, um, uh, uh, you know, that they wanted to impose Sharia law, which is like the extreme Islamic law, um, and that they wanted to use the Quran as like, you know, they wanted to base all like law in Sugarland based off of like what the Quran was saying in its most extreme form. It's just like this ridiculous stuff, calling them like members of Al-Qaeda, that 
growing up and like being in my, I would say, political youth, um, watching this happen really made me feel like, you know, I have to double down and stay involved because if we don't, this kind of bullshit will continue on, you know, like if people like me and people like us don't like show up, then like, you know, the only voices that we hear are, is, is this negative rhetoric that tries to stereotype us in a way that's the most marginalizing as possible. So that's like my kind of political background and history here in Houston. That's, that's insane. Um, Unfortunately, it's not surprising. Um, Like uh, it's, it's just not um, (laughs) because we do live um, with so many racists in Texas and Houston Um, And like, I mean, even liberals can be racist. So I'm not even going to just try to just say it's conservatives. Um, So with that said, though, like our system is structurally racist. Um, Whenever you become elected to the commissioner's court, um, what are you expecting from from any of it? Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> I know what, you know, when you emailed me about getting on the show, like you mentioned that a large part of why you reached out was you saw that I'm not taking, I've publicly refused um, contributions from county vendors. And those are, you know, um, people who have a contract or have um, uh, an interest, let's say, in having certain people elected. And I Very think that's the most various thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's that, I, I fully expect that if, I, if I'm honored to win on um, this election, that there will be people who will say, you know, I will give you X amount in contributions, but I expect like this type of contract to come my way. Like right. I don't, I am fully aware that that will most likely happen in many different situations, you know, whether explicitly or even like, you know, people try to buy favors for down the road. Um, and so to me, it's like, what can I do now, even as I run a campaign where you, I mean, every campaign needs cash, right? Because otherwise, how do we get your name out there? Um, uh, like, how do I do that in a way that won't tie me down in the future? And the easiest way is, for me, the clearest way is to refuse campaign contributions from county vendors at the get-go. So that's what I expect to do first and foremost. But later down the road, I mean, as, as a county commissioner, some of the biggest important decisions you make are related to infrastructure developments, like who's going to fix these roads, who's going to build the flooding infrastructure, so on and so forth. And those are going to be like hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in projects, hence why county vendors want to, you know, have their person in elected office. So those are just some of the things that I, I'm very much aware of and thinking about um, as I campaign on a day-to-day basis. So as you're uh, campaigning, um, what seems to be like the overarching theme concern um, from residents and and what's your response to that? You know, honestly, it's actually not as um, not as sexy as people may think. Um, the number one issue is roads. <laughs> we have so many potholes in Houston. It is absurd. It's absurd. Um, uh, right. I don't know wherever folks live. Like I'm re- literally driving down uh, Shepherd right now because I was uh, mar- knocking doors in Upper Kirby. And man, the construction on Shepherd has just it's taking forever. But thank God people are finally doing something about it because it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, and so many other streets here in Houston just need a lot of work. The second biggest thing is flooding. 
Um, and I think that's a big issue that people have heard over and over again. Meyerland in Southwest Houston flooded really badly um, during the Memorial Day floods, the Tax Day floods, and Hurricane Harvey. Um, on the west side of Houston, we have the Attics and Barker Reservoirs. Um, they didn't flood so much because of the rain. They flooded because when they opened the floodgates there in those reservoirs, that's when they got four feet of water inside their yeah. homes. And they weren't even warned about it. Like I think mm -hmm. a, a text message was sent out at midnight, but a lot of people were already asleep. And so there was no loud sound, there was no siren. So that when they literally woke up, like their beds were already wet. And it was, it was just, it was absurd. Um, and so like, what can we do well in advance is what I'm thinking. Like, for example, we know we're gonna have a disaster coming soon, right? Whether it's another flood or a winter storm and our grid fails. Um, people need to have answers for basic questions like, where are you going to seek shelter? You know, like people don't even know where to go right now if they flood, right? Um, how do you take care of your family? How do you secure your home when you have to leave your house? You know, um, do you know where your important government documents are? And do you know which ones you need to have on you to go with you, you know, if you need to go to a shelter? These basic mm -hmm. questions are things I think we need to be prepared for. And that's what I would love to help do as a county commissioner. Yeah, that also, um, like, there's so many layers to the flooding issue, right? It's, uh, it's uh, the, the class, the gap between the, yeah. the different classes, it's a racial issue, and like race and class are tied together because of our white supremacist capitalism. But um, also, like, there's profit in the floodwaters. Um, like developers stand to profit every time it mm -hmm. rains. Is there anything that can be done at the county level to prevent tax increment reinvestment zones, for example, or uh, developers to um, curve that perpetual profit cycle? Yeah, no, I think the first big thing we gotta do is stop development in the floodway. Like right now they are, I think they have stopped finally building homes directly in the reservoirs themselves. You just think about this. The reservoirs are designed to flood, right? Because that's how we keep water from going inside the city of Houston. But mm -hmm. inside the reservoir are full neighborhoods. <laughs> so you know that those places are going to flood. And the fact that we had historically allowed people to build in there is just, it's, it's literally like, it should be a crime. Um, but what we need to expand the ban to is floodways, which are basically where we know, based on historical flooding patterns, where the water will go. We are still allowing construction floodways. That needs to stop. Um, uh, what we have are also called the 100 and 500 year flood plans, which is basically saying that if a 100 year flood happens, which is once in 100 years, your house will flood, those houses I think we also need to start discouraging developers from building there as well. And if they do build there, because counties, we actually don't have, our, our hands are pretty tied. To, um, we are basically extensions of state governments, but the state limits mm -hmm. what we can do. What we can do though, however, I think is um, push developers, if they are to build in 500 and 100 year floodplains, that they have to, you know, put the foundation higher, they have to basically build the house on stilts so that if it floods, like it's flooding the stilts and not actually into people's homes. So those are like the things I really want to push. And this is like for houses that are still yet to be built for the places that have already been built, man, at the end of the day, it's, I think, unfortunately, we have to take all kinds of solutions, whether it's like digging our bayous deeper and wider to like, you know, having to 
um, you know, build new sewer systems uh, to make sure that those are moving quickly. Um, but the worst part that I think we may have to start considering doing at a larger scale, because we've already started doing these, is buyouts of homes, which is essentially, right, if you're, if we know your home um, uh, is going to flood because it's right in the floodway, um, uh, what are we going to have to do is to unfortunately have some involuntary buyouts where it is just too costly for us as all, you know, to society to continue to pay for this one home's reimbursement that we are just going to have to hopefully try to find you a place that is of similar quality and standard in another neighborhood or in the same neighborhood, but just elsewhere. Um, and I think we, we unfortunately are getting to that point. Um, but your question was, how do we dismantle the, the, the form of nefarious capitalism in this way? I think, you know, beyond just, you know, having uh, banning development in those certain areas that I mentioned, I think we may need to start putting fines or fees. And I, I need to study to see like what specifically we could do. Um, but I think we got to we got to bring the stick to the, you know, you can't just always have carrots. Sometimes you have to bring the stick policy wise. And that may have to be the solution here. If, for developers that are not following, you know, our, our requests. And for folks listening, um, over in Friendswood, they did do a similar uh, land buyout, um, oh gosh, a, a while ago now, uh, where there were houses that just kept flooding and they bought it out and uh, they turned that into land and veg vegetation. And it's not, um, some of it's a channelized uh, like floodway, but most of it's still the vegetation, which absorbs like a lot of water. Um, so that is a real possibility and has been done before in other areas. Um, so what is your scope as, as a commissioner? Like what, what would it be if you were elected? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So county government does so much. Um, in addition to roads and floods, we do work regarding criminal justice reform. So we fund our sheriff, our constable, the county jail, um, all of that. We fund the county hospital. So think of Ben Taub at LBJ hospitals, along with all the many different clinics. So we do public health and criminal justice. We also do environmental justice and environmental protection. So right now, um, the county has one, one van going across the county to like monitor air pollution. And I know the city of Houston also recently got one due to a grant. Um, so we now have two in the area, just measuring like, like pollution in the air, because we know our refineries, especially on the east side, just keep emitting them left and right. So yeah. we need to be able to, first we need to measure the air pollution so that our county attorney, who's also elected, can go sue the polluters because they're breaking the law. But if we're not measuring the pollution, we don't know whether or not you know they're actually breaking it. You know what I mean? By how yeah. much? So those are some of the things that um, the county commissioners have the ability to oversee. If um, you so, I'm not sure if you've seen, but there is a, a bit of a movement going. Uh, to get a resolution passed at the commissioner's court to support Medicare for all. If you were elected, would you support that resolution? Yeah, I have signed that petition myself. I will not <laughs> just support it. I will introduce the resolution. I will let all of my colleagues be on the record as to whether or not they support it. I will happily introduce it myself. I mean, at the end of the day, look, let's be real. Healthcare is a human right. And, uh, um, you know, we as a county, we don't have enough money ourselves to have Medicare for all. Just, you know, our annual budget is less than $5 billion. And over 20% of Harris County residents um, are underinsured or don't have health insurance. Um, and so 
we really need the state to pony up the funds. Um, uh, we're spending an absurd amount of money to like build the stupid wall at the border to have our troops mm-hmm. down at the border, you know, like mm-hmm. all these things. Uh, there's like money that the state is spending on to like to tell people who are seeking abortions to can try to convince them not to, you know, like all this like extraneous money could be spent on expanding health care. And yet um, the priorities are just, you know, and partisan BS instead of focusing on health care. So um, here at the county, we can do more in terms of potentially um, we have a program called the gold card, which is uh, if you are, I believe, at 100 to uh, 150% of the federal po- poverty line, um, then you can get uh, health and it's basically like a basically like our version of Medicaid. Um, you get mm-hmm. some kind of health coverage from the county, um, but it's only to a certain number of people. So there is a people in the gap who are too wealthy for the gold card and still too poor to afford regular health insurance. Those are the folks we really need to focus on in terms of access to health care. And I hope that we can uh, we can study whether or not we can increase the federal poverty line to 200% as opposed to 150. That's what I'm looking at right now. Hell yeah. Um, so I uh, lost hope in electoral politics and hate it <laughs> like a long time ago. And a lot of people don't vote. That's just the reality of uh, Texas in general. We're like 49th and voter participation. People are very apathetic. Um, why what would you tell to those people who, who just like, I don't even care. This isn't going to fix anything. I mean, it's hard, right? Like I think that as a politician, like people in government, we have to give people a reason to vote. And I think a large part of why people are disenchanted is that no, you, you, you feel that no matter who you vote for, nothing's really going to change, right? There's not going to be systemic change. It might just be a bandaid here or there. But that's not the real type of solutions we're looking for. Um, and I guess my answer to that is, you know, I think our government leaders have failed in providing that correct answer. Um, and that's in part why I'm running. Like, I am uh, hoping to be a part of pulling our commissioner's court to the left in that sense. How do we make it far more progressive? Um, but also, uh, for example, Lena Hidalgo, I think, has done a pretty darn good job. Um, as our county judge. She's a countywide elected official, um, but she's limited because she's one out of five people. Um, uh, I, my hope is that as an elected official, I will give her a second vote, you know, to help encourage her, if not egg her on, to go even further and more progressive in our policies, um, in large part because at the end of the day, whatever we do, we have to do it in an inclusive and equitable manner. And I think government has the opportunity to do that, especially now that we have Um, we have these opportunities to elect strong progressives here. So that's my message, you know, like it's always hard, I I know, to like convince people to go out and vote, but I think there's a shot, we have a chance here um, and I just hate to see us lose it. I have uh, two more questions. Before we get to how people can join your campaign, is there anything that we missed that we didn't cover that um, you really need people to know? Yeah, um, I guess uh, just a quick background on myself. <laughs> I am uh, I'm an elections attorney. I uh, most recently had worked for the Harris County Elections Office. Uh, my background is essentially I am a project manager. I just like to get stuff done. Um, and so when I was working for the Harris County Elections Office, I was proud to lead the team that helped to create drive-through voting among some of the many other voting innovations. And, you know, when people think about county government, they often think, oh, so boring, you know, not nearly as sexy as like, you know, 
Medicare for all at the federal level. Um, mm-hmm. But I think like here at the local county level is actually an opportunity where we can do some really cool stuff. Um, for example, when we created drive-through voting and 24-hour voting, all of those voting innovations had never been done in the country, right? Like It was never scandalous. Everybody right? lost their minds. Exactly. They absolutely lost their shit because first of all, um, they thought that, they, I mean, the Republicans, they keep saying all kinds of lies, like, you know, there's, there's voter fraud, where everybody has proven there's no voter fraud, right? That's just a talking point for them to encourage their uh, many, uh, not all of them, but many white supremacist folks to say like, oh, black and brown people are voting, so we can't let that happen. Um, but honestly, at the end of the day, like what we were able to do is to brainstorm and just throw ideas at the wall. You know, think about what our values were inclusion, right? And by that, we mean maximizing the number of, number of people who could vote, people with disabilities, right? People who are elderly, uh, people who couldn't walk, uh, people who had young kids and needed to, you know, not didn't want them to run around, um, you know, people who worked night shifts or worked really crazy hours. You know, we thought of every single population group we could out there. And then we just started designing different ways to vote. And that's like the type of attitude I'm going to bring into commissioner's court. It's like, here in county government, there are so many services we provide from criminal justice reform to healthcare to environmental to like, you know, working on our roads and flooding. How can we think outside the box in a way that brings new exciting practices, not because they're exciting, but because they actually get stuff done and they're like inclusive in the ways that we create them. So that's like the things I would love to bring to the table here. And um, it's why I think this is a really exciting, sexy job <laughs> for me. And I would love to get other people jazzed up and uh, involved as well. Oh, yeah. So um, how can people get involved with your co- campaign if they are excited um, about this? Yeah, absolutely. So visit my website. My website is Ben Chow, B-E-N-C-H-O-U, and the letters T-X.com. So BenChowTX.com. Or you can email me directly. It's Ben, B-E-N, at BenChowTX.com, or even give me a phone call or text to my cell phone, 832-266-2067. Cool beans. And uh, that is all we got for you folks today. If you missed this part, if you missed this interview, you're just now coming in, you'll be able to find it uploaded on wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Let's look up Unconventional Journalist, and it'll be there for you. Thank you so much, Ben, for taking some time to talk to me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Sam, for taking the time and for hosting me. I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's all about how do we make society work for everybody? And I think, you know, we start bits and pieces at a time. So thanks again for having me.